Greetings, everyone. Uh, I'm Dr. Carmen Pugliafito, and I'm here today with uh, Dr. David Lally of New England Retina Consultants. Uh, Dr. Lally is also an assistant professor of ophthalmology at Tufts University School of Medicine and at the University of Massachusetts. And today we're going to talk about the Reclaim 2 study, which is a, a unique approach to the management of geographic atrophy going forward. David, welcome to Retina Synthesis. Great. Well, thanks so much, Carmen, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Tell us about the Reclaim study and uh, the molecule the molecule involved. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it starts with, you know, attacking, I think the story with uh, Reclaim 1 and Elamipertide starts with um, that they're using a unique approach of looking at the mitochondria in the disease of macular degeneration. So, uh, it's a very unique uh, uh, hypothesis and target for targeting the, for the treatment of macular degeneration. So why the mitochondria? And, and the story really starts with it. We know that mitochondria are very important intracellular organelles. They're present in every cell in the human body, and they're, very, they're critical for the synthesis of ATP. And the retina actually is the highest consumer of mitochondrial ATP of like any of the neural tissues in the human body. And that's because there's a really intense bioenergetics that are required to support uh, our normal visual function. So uh, our eyes are open all day long and we're receiving all day long light uh, external stimuli into our eyes. And these cells have very high metabolic demands. So uh, right off the bat, there seems like there could be a role for the mitochondria uh, in this disease. And we do see that mitochondria, there are some signs and signals that mitochondria may be implicated in the pathogenesis of AMD. So we see that mitochondria located at the bottom or the basal side of the RPE cells near the drusen. When we look under microscopes, we see that in these AMD eyes that the mitochondria can appear like dysmorphic in their, their phenotypes. And we also know that there can be increased oxidative damage to the mitochondrial DNA in these AMDIs. And so, and then the other things we know is that there's a genetic disease with, with a mitochondrial DNA mutation uh, called maternally inherited diabetes and deafness or MIDD. And these patients, you know, oftentimes come to our clinics with uh, this macular atrophy phenotype, which, has some resemblance to the phenotype uh, of geographic atrophy and macular degeneration. So that's kind of interesting. And then we also know that some of the modifiable risk factors that we know for uh, AMD, such as cigarette smoking and high fat diet, that these factors are known to really increased uh, mitochondrial oxidative stress. And so Kind of all of these uh, preclinical observations and findings kind of lead to some suggestion that mitochondrial dysfunction may in some way be in, you know, involved in the uh, pathology of uh, macular degeneration. So, uh, so there is a molecule that's currently under development in the Reclaim uh, 2 trial called elamipertide. And uh, the way that this uh, drug works is if we think about the major structures of the mitochondria, there's really a few of these structures, and they include the inner and outer mitochondrial membranes, and then the cristae and the electron transport chain. But what we also know is that there's this uh, very unique phospholipid that's in the inner 
uh, wall of the inner uh, mitochondrial membrane uh, called cardiolipin. And cardiolipin is only found in mitochondria. It's not found anywhere else. And it's very, it's an important structural component uh, to mitochondria where it actually acts as like a linchpin to kind of hold together the respiratory complex uh, units of the electron transport chain. And we know that cardiolipin is susceptible to peroxidation and to uh, reactive oxygen species formation. And so if cardiolipin becomes damaged, we can see under the microscope that the normal curvature of the cristae can actually start to become flattened. And it actually takes on an abnormal shape of being flattened and what that does is that puts those uh, respiratory complexes out of their proper spatial orientation to each other. And that leads to an unhealthy electron transport chain. And so uh, uh, the formation of ATP uh, goes down and the uh, reactive oxygen species formation starts to go up within the cell. And so elamipratide is known to bind uh, to cardiolipin and help stabilize it and actually improve the curvature of the cristae and try to restore it back to its uh, normal appearing morphology. And we know that this drug, when it does that, that, that we then see increases in ATP production uh, in consequence of doing that. And we see that the reactive oxygen species formation goes down. And so this theoretically can help the cell uh, and, and prevent apoptosis or cell death. So it's really a mitochondrial rescue molecule? Yeah, I mean, that's the best understanding that we have now is that, that it really is a, it's, it's really rescuing the electron transport chain with the goal of improving the function of the mitochondria. So, you know, if we think back to that, that these mitochondrial, uh, these mitochondria in the retina, uh, they need ATP and good ATP synthesis likely more than any other neural cell in the body. And so if we can boost that function, uh, then uh, we may be able to handle the oxidative stress better uh, for these aging eyes. And we know that oxidative stress is a major player in AMD. So if oxidative stress is a major player uh, in the pathophysiology of this disease, then improving uh, the mitochondria to deal with that oxidative stress seems like a reasonable strategy. <clears throat> so tell, tell us about the study. Yeah. So you know, elamipratide was first studied uh, in dry macular degeneration back in 2018 in what was called the Reclaim 1 study. And this was done uh, by Dr. Scott Cousins at Duke. And this was a phase, it was a phase one study looking at patients with intermediate dry macular degeneration. Uh, and what these patients uh, do is they administer the elamipratide as a subcutaneous injection into the abdomen. So I almost think of it like uh, a Humira pen or uh, some other uh, type of uh, similar administration where each day the patient is uh, injecting the medicine into the abdomen daily. And I think it was 40 milligrams. And they did that for 24 weeks. And the primary outcome was looking at uh, safety events. And fortunately, there was no severe safety. There were significant safety uh, SAEs or treatment emergent AEs. We did see that the local that there was a common uh, uh, there was a common local skin site reaction to the injection in the abdomen. These were kind of common uh, local skin injection reactions that you would 
uh, expect with other uh, types of medications that are administered into the abdomen in a similar manner. So, you know, itching of the abdomen, bruising, uh, uh, bruise, uh, bruising, and what was the other one? Bleeding. Uh, uh, but these these uh, reactions typically were very self-limited and resolved within a few hours after the administration of the drug, uh, and uh, is what you would expect uh, given the clearance rate of the drug. Uh, so so we saw that it was it appeared safe in the phase one, but they also had in that phase one study a subset of eyes uh, that were 19 of these eyes that had non-central geographic atrophy that was secondary to AMD. And they looked at some exploratory efficacy uh, endpoints in this trial. And what was interesting is that they saw after 24 weeks of administration of this drug that subjects had on average about a five letter gain in both best corrected visual acuity, but also low luminance visual acuity. And even more interesting, when they looked at the different uh, baseline lesion sizes of these non-central geographic atrophy patients, they saw that smaller baseline atrophy lesions actually had greater gains in their low luminance. And so there was some consistency seen here with, with these exploratory endpoints, with multiple exploratory functional endpoints. And so that drove uh, the development to the next phase of testing, which is the current ongoing uh, phase two trial uh, called the Reclaim 2 study. And so this study is a study that's specifically looking at elamiprotide for the treatment of, of just non-foveal geographic atrophy, where patients are randomized to either receive uh, the elamiprotide as a 40 milligram subcutaneous injection in the abdomen, uh, or a placebo injection uh, for 24 weeks. And the primary outcome for this study is going to be the change in low luminance uh, visual acuity from baseline to month 24. So going for a functional endpoint, which, uh, which is different than a lot of our other ongoing geographic atrophy studies where the, where the primary endpoint uh, is a structural endpoint, this study is hoping to uh, achieve a functional outcome in their phase two study. So the study is currently fully enrolled. There's uh, 176 subjects that are enrolled. All the sites are from the United States. And the results, uh, I think, are anticipated in the second quarter of next year. Um, why does low luminance visual acuity improve? Yeah, I think I think it goes to the the thought that uh, that macular degeneration affects the rods before the cones typically. So when we look at what are some of the earliest uh, functional measures of visual dysfunction in macular degeneration, we often see that there's delayed dark adaptation uh, as one of the measures, and so. Uh, I think turning the lights down low and measuring visual acuity is perhaps getting the rods more involved. And, uh, and, and when we're looking at earlier stages of disease, so uh, one thing I forgot to mention was that, uh, that the, si the baseline size of these non-central at atrophic lesions for this trial are, can be much smaller than what we can, than what we have in our other ongoing GA trials. And that's because Again, the, the primary outcome is not a structural change on autofluorescence, but a functional change. But 
we're getting kind of an earlier stage disease. And so there may be more, uh, more uh, rods and uh, photoreceptors out there to salvage and, say, and boost their function uh, as opposed to later stages of foveal, uh, large foveal geographic atrophy lesions or large non-central uh, lesions. So, uh, so I, think, I think there is a real thought of this hypothesis that if we can boost the mitochondrial function that uh, within these photoreceptors that, that you can see a functional uh, improvement in these eyes. What was the visual acuity in enrollment uh, criteria? For uh, Reclaim 2, the vision had to be greater than or equal to 55 letters. Mm -hmm. And the low luminance visual acuity at baseline had to be greater than or equal to 10 letters. And so the patient must have had at least uh, a low luminance deficit of greater than five letters. So they had to have some kind of deficit uh, at baseline. So you can have the opportunity to see a change uh, at that primary outcome measure. Uh, but, but, but in terms of best corrected visual acuity is 55 letters. Mm -hmm. So it's intriguing. Uh, this seems like a, a potentially good treatment for intermediate AMD. Correct. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, the same hypothesis applies to intermediate AMD is that if we can, we certainly know in intermediate dry AMD cases, these patients have delayed dark adaptation. They can be symptomatic with symptoms. They're often coming to us saying, uh, even if their visual acuities, you know, relatively good on the eye chart, the patient can still be symptomatic where they start complaining of their uh, struggles with going from a, a light room to a dark room or a dark room to a light room, how it takes their eyes a much longer period of time over time. And I think, I think you know, exploring these types of mitochondrial therapies in intermediate dry MD would be kind of the next, uh, the next step, would be going to earlier, earlier stages of disease. Well, this is a a very intriguing and promising uh, trial. It doesn't have anything to do with the complement pathway. Is that right? Has nothing to do with complement pathway. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I agree. I think that's one thing that makes this trial exciting is that it's it's different from the complement pathway. It really is a novel approach to trying to treat this disease. Uh, but you know, my understanding is it does not affect the complement system in any manner. It specifically only affects cardiolipin. And again, cardiolipin is only found in the mitochondria. So it's not found in any other part of the cell. Well, that's great. We'll have you back when we get reclaim two results in. David, thanks so much for your participation on retina synthesis. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Carmen.